Okay, let's start by reading it together. The first thing we'll notice uh, is just that these words appear while Jesus is in the house of a prominent Pharisee. So if you just look in verse 1 there, one Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. And then it carries on talking about whether or not he's going to heal somebody on the Sabbath. And then in verse 7, Jesus notices something about the party guests. And it says, when he, asked, uh, when he noticed, Jesus noticed, how the guests picked the places of honour at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honour. For a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat. Then, humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honoured in the presence of all the other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. That's the parable before us. But let me start with the story, a very brief one. So, uh, my grandfather was a carpenter, and I was a cement renderer. And I remember talking to him one time, during his retirement, uh, about the fact that I was a cement renderer. And I remember telling him that I was a pretty good one. And quick as a fox, he replied, self-praise is no recommendation, but carry on. And it stuck with me. And I thought, that's a good point, isn't it? Self-praise is no recommendation, but carry on. And that's the issue on the table tonight. Self-promotion. But not just self-promotion. Self-promotion, humility, and God's great reversal. That is the focus of tonight. And it's a good question to ask ourselves is this. Is it a big deal to make a big deal of ourselves? I suspect in this culture that we're not so bold. Perhaps. No doubt this kind of mentality will be present. But I suspect that the way this works out in our culture is much more subtle. I think we probably do it by way of reverse psychology. We move ourselves up morally by priding ourselves in how unself-assertive we are. I suspect we have a strong suspicion of the self-assertive in this culture. And so a text like this one can seem quite tame to us because we already know we shouldn't do it. Perhaps that's the sense that we have when we read these verses. But at the same time, human nature is remarkably stubborn, and I wonder if it would become clearer if we examined our hearts at a hypothetical wedding reception.
Come with me on a small journey. So, we all know who the important people are. They may consist of a different group for each of us, but they nonetheless consist of a group. So, you're at the wedding, but you've been seated with the unimportant people. First off, you're not sure why you've been placed at this table. You thought you were a bit more important than that, but you're here now. So you'll run with it. Now, I did ponder whether to go this way, but at risk of offending, I'll do it anyway, and I'll describe your table companions and see whether I uh, have a massive swing and a miss or not. So here they are, your table companions. They're state school educated, and they have no university degrees. They're conversationally good when the topic turns to Love Island, Big Brother, or the latest Sun article, but not so good on Poldark or the BBC article on why Trump shouldn't run a race, let alone a country. You make small talk, but not much eye contact, and truth be told, you're probably better clued up on the conversation two tables down where the cool kids are. And so we legitimise a way to make ourselves present at that table, and the night happily dances away. We say to ourselves it's about friendships, constructive networking, and relationship. Or, maybe our hearts were caught up in glory hunting too. Okay. So, the way that this little portion of Luke works is that Jesus encounters a situation and he observes people's behaviour, perhaps a little bit more obvious than our hypothetical wedding party, and so he tells this parable and states a principle. That's the two things he does. He tells the parable and states the principle. The principle is what he wants to get into our hearts and the parable is there to illustrate it. So let's clarify what the principle is. We see it there in verse 11. Verse 11, for those who exalt themselves, note the word for, for, this is the parable, for those, all those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Right? That's the principle. It's a principle of reversal. The up will go down and the down will go up. And he uses the situation he's in, coupled with the parable, to illustrate and highlight that principle. And it's like he's saying this is a fundamental reality of the world and he knows that our lives need to be conformed to it. Right? That's the text before us. This is the principle Jesus wants in our hearts. Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and all who humble themselves will be exalted. And that's where we're going. So what we'll do now, is, with the rest of our time, we'll circle around this principle and try to drum it into our hearts and our heads. And the way we'll do it is in three moves. We'll look at the pattern in the Old Testament of this reversal. We'll look at the illumination we see in the parable itself. And then we'll spend a bit of time plugging it into the big picture. So first up, let's think about this pattern of the up going down and down going up, the great reversal in the Old Testament. 
So I guess it's good to note that this is not new, is it? Jesus is not bringing up an especially new thing. It's an old principle. And it's seen in a, a number of places in the Old Testament. Esther captures the principle of reversal quite well. In the book of Esther, we meet a man named Haman, who was so full of himself that he was dissatisfied with being second in charge in a kingdom so large that it stretched from India to Ethiopia. Sorry. And the reason he was dissatisfied is because one man in his city where he was didn't acknowledge his position and bow down to him when he walked past. And that man's man's name was Mordecai. So Haman, in the story, is the proud figure who starts uh, at the top, and Mordecai, in the story, is the faithful Jew who's at the bottom, and then through a number of twists and turns, by the end, Haman is down and Mordecai is up. And this is classically illustrated at one point in the story, when Haman comes into the king, and the king's just been reading uh, the history books of his kingdom, and he's heard uh, recounted in the history books, a good deed of Mordecai. And as a result, the king is considering how he can honour Mordecai. Remember, he's the guy who's low. Now, this plan of the king's is unknown to Haman as Haman comes into the king's court and the king asks Haman, what would be a good way to honour somebody? If you wanted to honour somebody, Haman, what would be a good way to do that? And Haman being only concerned with his own status, assumes that the king is referring to him. And so he begins to describe his own fantasy to the king. Right? Oh, you dress him up in fine clothes, is what you do. And then you parade him through the city on a great horse. This is really what he says. You parade him through the city on this lovely horse, and then you have a person walk in front of him declaring to everybody how the king is honouring that person. I reckon that'd be a good thing to do to a person that you wanted to honour, right? But, as the readers know, little does Haman know. And the next day, we have Haman leading Mordecai, dressed in splendid clothing and mounted on a fancy horse through the city, declaring to all, how the king is honouring him. It's a hilarious reversal, but it's a great illustration of the principle at work. The proud are humbled, and the low are raised. The principle is also seen in the book of Proverbs a whole bunch of times, uh, but here's just three texts. Verse, chapter 15, verse 25. The Lord tears down the house of the proud but he sets the widow's boundary stones in place. Or chapter 29, verse 23, Proverbs says, Pride brings a person low, but the lowly in spirit gain honour. Or chapter 18, verse 12, Before destruction, a man's heart is haughty, but humility comes before honour. That's Proverbs. And lastly, in the Old Testament, we see in the book of Daniel, the principle also illustrated a number of times. Daniel himself, for example, is the lowly one who's promoted as the ruler over Babylon and chief among the wise men. Proud Nebuchadnezzar 
who walks along the roof of his house, praising himself for the success of his kingdom, is humbled in a day and loses his kingdom and his mind and becomes like a beast of the field. Another example in Daniel is that those who oppose Daniel because they notice that he was promoted seek to have him killed by having him thrown in the lion's den. But then when Daniel's saved, there's a reversal of position and those who sought Daniel's death are themselves eaten by lions. It's another picture of the reversal. The proud being brought low, the humble being raised. And so the book of Daniel teaches, as it says in chapter 4, verse 37, those who walk in pride, the Lord is able to humble. And if we, looked at the, if we thought about the Old Testament, many more examples could be brought forward. The point is that the principle is an old one. It's woven into the narrative of the scriptures and it's woven into the fabric of the world. And so it's one that we need to be aware of and reminded of. Hence, Jesus telling the parable. He brings it up afresh because though it's an old principle, it's still a present problem. So, turning to the parable itself now, looking at some illumination in the parable. I'll read the parable again. When he noticed how the guests picked the places of honour at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honour, for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, Give this person your seat. Then, humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he will say to you, Friend, move up to a higher place. Then you will be honoured in the presence of all the other guests. Jesus, through this parable, helps us by illuminating a number of points. He helps us feel the shame as a warning and the honour as a wooing. What do I mean? What I mean is, in the hearing the parable, we feel the awkward moment of the one who is moved down. It's kind of awkward, right? There he is, he's placed himself in the prime position. And then there's that kind of embarrassing moment of, oh, oh yeah, he's up in front of everybody. And that's why Jesus makes that little word. Then, in verse 9, and he inserts humiliated. Then, humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. In shame. What you did in secret was brought out in public and there's this kind of ouch moment as the person moves down the table because it's a warning. But not only so, so we're meant to be put off by that, right? Feel that and put off by that. But also, Jesus tells the parable in a way to motivate us by reward. You see, that's what happens in verse 10. 
so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. And look what happens. Then you will be honoured in the presence of all the other guests. We're supposed to feel the joy of the one promoted and hope for that ourselves, I think. But the key is that it be the right kind of reward. It's promotion by the other, not promotion by ourselves. And that's key, because Jesus' parable helps to clarify that self-promotion is the key issue here. You see? It's not that promoting in and of itself is the problem. It's self-honouring, self-promotion that's the problem. It's it's quite clear by the pieces of the parable. Um, The wedding guest is invited up by another, by the host. The third party does the promoting, not the guests themselves. Praise is not the problem. Self-praise is the problem. And the parable helps to tease out that issue. So why is self-praise such a problem? This has been an interesting thing to ponder over the week. And why do we instinctively feel it to be so? Why is that? Here's my crack at it. I think that self-praise is a problem because at one level, self-praise is pretentious. Often, it doesn't fit with reality, and I think we feel it. There's a kind of phoniness to it. Because of love for self, we're prone to misevaluate the situation. And we feel within ourselves that such self-evaluation is risky. I think self-praise is also problematic... Another reason is because it triggers a glory battle within us. What do I mean there? What I mean is, I think it, when we see someone else promoting themselves, there's a kind of knee-jerk reaction within us uh, because of our own pride. It's almost like we see others going up the ladder, that means us going down, and because we all want some glory... When we see others getting it, it puts our glory in jeopardy. So I think self-praise is problematic, or at least we feel it that way, because it triggers that glory battle within us. They're not getting the praise. Who do they think they are to get the praise? Why, why Why do they think they get the glory? We feel that combat. But more than this, and I think deeper, And more important, I think self-promotion triggers not only a glory battle within us, but sets a glory battle against God. And I think that's where the real problem lies. All glory belongs to God because nothing is possible without him. All talent is given by him and all effort is sustained by him. So there's nothing that we can claim for ourselves as having come exclusively from ourselves. And this means that exalting ourselves means setting ourselves off against God because we are taking what is his. 
His is the right to glory, and his is the right to evaluate where credit is due. But when we self-promote, we set ourselves up against God. And Isaiah tells us that God has a day against all that is proud and lofty. And I think this is the big issue with self-promoting. I'll read uh, Isaiah chapter 2, verse 12 to 17. And it's a Bible verse worth memorising. It says this, "For, For the Lord of hosts has a day against all that is proud and lofty, against all that is lifted up, and it shall be brought low, against all the cedars of Lebanon, lofty and lifted, and against all the oaks of Bashan, against all the lofty mountains and against all the uplifted hills, against every high uh, and against every fortified wall, against all the ships of Tarshish and against all the beautiful craft. And the haughtiness of man shall be humbled and the lofty pride of men shall be brought low. Here's the cat. Here's the kicker. And the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. And the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. And this brings us to the final thing that Jesus' parable helps us to see. And that is that the present state of affairs is a mirage. So plugging this into the big picture and thinking about this present state of affairs being a mirage, I think we really need to capture this. This is where we need to grasp uh, what Jesus is doing. The parable starts out with a person sitting in a place of prominence. And for a moment, at least, He appears to be a person of importance. He appears to have made it. All appears to be well. But the situation in that moment is not a true depiction of reality. He's not the distinguished guest that he purports to be. And so it is with this present age. Keep Isaiah 2 in the back of your mind there. Things are not as they appear. And Jesus has used the situation he's in and this little somewhat small moment of jostling for prime position, now he wants to tap in to that bigger reality. He's not just talking about how to behave at the dinner party. He's tapping into something more serious. And the clue is in the word parable. Notice he said, now he told a parable. Parables are slightly different to straight teaching because parables need explaining. And this parable is no different. It's more, it's about more than just dinner parties. Jesus wants us to understand this principle in relation to God as well. And this is why the theme runs through the scriptures. It's not just that self-promotion doesn't work work out for us in the present, and this is good life advice. It's it's that ultimately self-promotion 
will certainly not work out for us in the end. The principle is true for all humanity and all history, and it will one day have its final moment on the day of God who will turn the tables and alone get all the glory. All the lofty pride of men will be brought low, and the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. That will be a great day of reversal. The pride, the proud will be humbled, and the humble will be exalted. But there comes a key question at this point as we try to plug it into the big picture, and that is, how can it be that we, who have promoted ourselves and taken God's glory, ever rightfully be placed in a position of honour? And this is where we see the beauty of Jesus. We can be raised up because he was brought low. Jesus is the one who lived the life that we ought to have lived. Jesus epitomises the one who took the lowly place and left all promotion to the Father. Jesus does the exact opposite to us. Jesus fully entrusted himself to the Father. And even on the cross, when the temptation to exert his power and defend himself would have been so strong, you can imagine, right, as the passers-by, he's on the cross, and think about who he is, and he knows, right? He knows who he is. He knows what power he's got. And the passers-by, they wag their heads and mock him. This is what it says in Matthew. He saved others. He cannot save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if he desires him. If you were Jesus, wouldn't you just want to put those people in their place? That's not Jesus. Jesus is going to leave his vindication to his father and let his father exalt him in his proper time. And that's what Paul captures in Philippians 2, verse 6 to 11. This kind of great, um, what, what was uh, possibly a hymn of Jesus in the early church. Paul says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He brings himself low. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This principle that runs through the Old Testament, that's illustrated through Proverbs, that Jesus himself articulates before these people, he lives out himself perfectly. We've seen this before with Jesus as the only person who could have justified himself didn't, and now again, the one person who rightfully deserved the highest place 
takes the lowest. And he does this in order that he might raise us, who don't deserve it, up with him. Because we have exalted ourselves, thinking more highly of ourselves than we ought and taking God's glory for ourselves, we are the ones who ought to be brought low on the great day of the Lord, when he rises to humble all flesh. But as it is, because Jesus was made low and took shame for us, we have been raised and seated with him in the heavenly places. This is why James can say in 1 verse 9, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. Let the lowly brother, the poor, boast in his exaltation. Do you know that you have been raised up with Christ and seated with him in the highest place? You who did not deserve it. And this is the grace of God. And don't we marvel at the ways of God? I find this to be really, really quite cool. How contrary to the ways of the world God's ways are. God loves to lift up the humble and bring down the proud. God loves to do it all in such a way that no one can boast, but so that all might say of him, God is great, God is gracious, and God alone deserves all the praise. God loves this stuff. God chose that which is foolish in the world to put to shame the wise. Or again, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1, For since in the wisdom of God, the world in the wisdom of God, God's wisdom is that the world did not know God through wisdom, but it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. God loves it. God loves taking what's foolish to shame the wise. These are God's ways. And this is that great reversal that Jesus is tapping into. All those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and all those who humble themselves will be exalted. Totally contrary to the ways of man. So what's our application? Well, just as we come to land, we'll just have a quick think about some application here. I think Jesus' aim in telling this parable, and for us here today is that we would be be a people who love humility and who are very wary of self-promotion. Jesus wants to change our posture. And I think that this plays out in two ways, and then we'll close. The first way that it cashes out for us is in an initial humbling, and that's the humbling of conversion. We need to humble ourselves by admitting that we have promoted ourselves against God. The initial humbling is that we need to humble ourselves by acknowledging the ways in which we have sinned. We need to humble ourselves by reaching out for help and admitting that we need God. We need to humble ourselves by confessing that we've not been that we have been dependent on God for everything but have not given him the credit that is his due. That's the initial humbling, and it is the humbling of conversion. And as we humble ourselves in this way, God lifts us up in Jesus. 
And the second is the daily humbling. That's the ongoing life of humility that I think Jesus wants us to walk. Jesus really wants us to change the way we live. And these are the two levels in the parable. The dinner table scene is a window into the deeper issue of needing to humble ourselves before God. But he wants our dinner table moments to continue to reflect that deeper reality. He still wants our day-to-day lives to be lives where we walk in a posture of humility so that we associate with the lowly, so that we don't seek to exert ourselves and make ourselves important and present ourselves before others as greater than we are. I think he wants us to be happy to take the lowly position, to be happy with what we have, and to leave all the promotion to God in his time. As I was reflecting on this to Joanna, I was saying to her uh, that I wonder what it will be like on that final day when all is revealed and the great reversal happens. What's it going to be like? God will expose the true state of affairs. And don't you wonder how the seating will be arranged. I said I wouldn't be surprised if what we currently think is great turns out to be demoted and what we currently think of as lowly turns out to receive praise from God. And this will be praise in its proper place. When God steps in on that day and says, this here, this one, this is what I've loved. You, friend, Come up here. Come, sit next to me here. And it may not be the big and the flashy. It may be the person we never suspected. It may be the humble servant who followed Christ closely, serving faithfully in the tasks set before them. For whoever exalts themselves will be humbled But whoever humbles themselves will be exalted. This is the word of God. I'm going to say a prayer and then we'll sing a couple of songs together. Father, thank you for your word to us. Thank you, Jesus, uh, for speaking to us these words, for teaching and reminding us. And we ask that you would help us to be humble people, to humble ourselves before you and to daily humble ourselves in the way that we walk. Forgive us for uh, promoting ourselves, for exalting ourselves, for making ourselves higher than we really are. And we loathe it, uh, God. We pray that it would be, we would be rid of it in our lives and that we would follow you, Jesus. Thank you that you made yourself low for our sakes. Amen.